Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on the stack, we talk about a bunch of comics that have come out this week. And guess what? Comics are coming out again. Yeah, <laughs> we're back, baby. You know what? I thought they were fooling us with that last week, but they weren't. Comics still coming out. Yeah. yeah. It they felt even, like a classic prank where they give you what you want and then take it right away. But here we are, week two, comics galore. And it was nice to be able to go to, uh, you know, Diamond and see the comics again. Uh, I love it when a big corporation comes back. That just, <laughs> yeah. particularly if they have a monopoly, it makes me so happy. Uh, well, exactly. I mean, fuck Diamond Comics, obviously, but I've been going to the same website to look at what comics come out. Next week, and it was nice to be able to have that back. Is all I'm saying. Exactly. Pete fuck. just Pete likes websites, and oh. that's a great. That's great. Websites are great. They're like what's, addresses on the internet. What's your favorite website, Justin? Mine is Google.com. Oh, wow. that's a good one. Mine's Yahoo.com. Yahoo, great. Wow. Really covered all the bases. <laughs> yeah, Yahoo News, great news source. Yeah. Now, because comics are back, we're going to do a extra large stack once again where oh, we are man. reviewing almost, I don't want to promise everything, but almost everything that came out today, Wednesday, as well as the DC Comics that came out on Tuesday. They are continuing with their Tuesday schedule, even though everybody else is going What's back to the normal happen? stuff. I don't know. That's a fight. The comics do we have come to a day move early. our live show to Monday now if comics start coming out oh, on Tuesday? Jesus, I can't do that. I'm busy. What are you, crazy? Monday's oh, wow. locked up. Tuesday's yeah, That's when right. Blue Bloods is on. I don't yeah. know if that's true, actually. But. It's a strong guess, though. I like it. Tuesdays <laughs> are my days with my, is my day with my boys, so I can't change that. Oh. Yeah, there we go. Aww. Let's jump into this because we do have a big old stack to go through. Kicking it sure. off with Amazing Spider-Man number 43 from Marvel Comics, written fuck by Nick you. Spencer. Hold on. Jesus you Christ. You started with that one, you fuck. 
We go as always in alphabetical order. No, so we don't. written That's... by Nick Spencer, penciled by Ryan Otley. Oh, wow. Backup. The backup is penciled by Francesco. Uh, my autocorrect is Mobilizations, which is definitely. <laughs> You don't think that's his name? Francesco Mobilizations? <laughs> I apologize to you, whatever your real name is, Francesco Mobilizations. Apologies, Mr. Mobilizations. We misspelled Francesco. <laughs> anyway, if you haven't read Spider Man, it's probably Mobile Home. Uh, Spider Man, aka Peter Parker, has been roommating with Boomerang. Uh, they both kind of know each other's secret identities, but not really. Uh, and they've been teaming up to catch the to find this mystical artifact that the Kingpin has also been after. Uh, in this issue, they mostly tangle with a gigantic monster named Gog. Uh, not Mad Gog, an adorable monster but, at the same time, Baby Gog. Uh, what do you guys think about this issue? Pete, I know what you thought. Let's go to Justin first. <laughs> is it Francesco Matina? There you go. That's probably what it is. Nice. Uh, that's a guess. That's only some not great Googling or uh, Yahooing or my favorite website, Bing. Um, I, <laughs> liked, uh, I liked this a lot because I feel like Nick Spencer's run has been all about getting back to fun. Like it's chasing the fun of Spider-Man. Um, obviously, uh, he's a big fan of uh, Boomerang and getting him in here um, because that's uh, because of Deadly Foes of Spider-Man. Um, but while uh, a lot of Dan Slott's run that came before was about sort of the emotional core and dealing with Spider-Man's inherent guilt with everything, this feels a little bit more like Spider-Man is bouncing around between the different crises in his life and just like having fun and solving problems. Um, and I like that as a change. The art is fantastic in this book. Thanks, Pete, for that pregnant pause there. Uh, I I agree with you. I think to the point where this was a surprisingly light issue, given that everything that is going on, where it's basically Spider-Man and Boomerang get a new pet. That's sort of the whole point of the issue. And I was surprised when it, it was done. It's Francesco Mana. Oh, thank Nailed you very it. much. But yes, I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I think, the, honestly, this is one that will probably feel better in a collection just because it goes so rapidly. Um, but I, I've been enjoying this run a lot. I think I agree with you, Pete, that Ryan Otley's art is so good. It's yep. such a perfect match for Spider-Man. It's such a pleasure to see him on this. Um, so I'm having fun reading this book. Congrats. <laughs> Let's wow. move on then Pete to... understated Excitement uh, Not having it over here For Pete is In the return of comics There you go Teen Titans number 41 From DC Comics This is script by Adam Glass And Robbie Thompson Pencils by Eduardo Ferreira And the Teen Titans Are dealing with the thing Where Damian Wayne As usual Messed things up Because he had a secret prison And things go haywire from there What do you think about this issue? I mean, secret prisons are not a good idea. You know what I mean? I mean, prisons, uh, they're problematic. You know, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, especially for-profit prisons. You know, I mean, it's just. Wow. You know. I, Coming out strong here, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> uh I uh, I think this is fun. I haven't read Teen Titans in a while, so this lineup um, of characters, I was like, "Whoa, who are all these people?" Um, I like the uh, interplay. I like the, um, the young Lobo uh, that we have. Oh here. yeah, mm-hmm. the girl Lobo was fantastic. I really enjoyed her dialogue. I thought that was really fun. And just seeing uh, having her be like a badass, but also a character that is like 
like, please don't go. Uh, yeah. She says to the, to the Jin, um, to Jin, the character. And like, I thought that was nice that uh, she had, like all the characters feel like they have an emotional core at the same time. They're just like a bunch of teens kicking ass. So I mentioned this on the live show, but I've been going back and reading through JSA, the whole run that Jeff Yeah, Johnston. why don't you flex some more on that? I, I mean, not is it not flexing. enough to fucking I, brag I, on I, one podcast? You got to brag on the stack, And too? my brag, to be clear, is that I can read. Go ahead. Exactly. That's not much of a flex. Let's just be cool about that. Yeah. I. Uh, so anyway, I've been going back. The reason I bring this up is I've been going back. Yeah, and what is through. the re- real reason you're bringing oh, this Jesus up? Jesus Christ. Look, contentious. Oh, my God. Uh, so during the JSA run by Jeff Johns, which at this point is a decade old or something like that, uh, he deals a lot with the character of Jakeem Thunder. Jakeem Thunder has the Thunderbolt, the genie. Uh, and there's a weird hint in his run that he starts getting like these flashing eyes and there's hints that, ooh, maybe Jakeem has the power of the Thunderbolt without having to call it out of its lantern, which in this case is a pen. And it's crazy to me that I read this comic book, Teen Titans 41, that came out in 2020, where Jakeem is finally like, whoa, you mean the power of the Thunderbolt was inside of me the whole time? (laughs) Like, that's (laughs) insane that that took 10 years to actually come out of the story, but I'm glad it did. Yeah. And Damien sort of has some comeuppance here, which is always nice to see. Yeah. And Pete, Uh, you liked it. Oh, yeah. Uh, 20 XDX number four or 220 XX, whatever you want to call it. I went with the Homestar Runner parlance, uh, from mm-hmm. Image Comics. Story and script by Lauren <laughs> Keeley. Story script, assets, illustrations, lettering, and design by Jonathan Luna. Uh, if I remember correctly, just only... one of the Lunas. Yeah, just one yes. of the Lunas. Uh, if I remember correctly, this takes place in a world that's been hit by a plague. Very weird, very futuristic. Yes. Nobody knows what it's like. Uh, but the people who survive the plague come out with abilities. And that's what we're following up on here. Uh, there's different gangs. There's been a murder. There's people who are tracing it down. Uh, thoughts on this issue? Well, it's weird because it also has the start where it's kind of like the X-Men books where they're giving symbols and talking about elements and shit like that, which kind of pulls me out of it a little bit because X-Men right now is bullshit. But... I think that um, uh, the art is great, and uh, it's some interesting storytelling. It's kind of hard because I haven't been reading everything before it, so a little tough jumping in point. Uh, but, you know, like a lot of the Lunar Brothers stuff, it's very creative and very unique. Yeah, this feels like very much in line with uh, all, a lot of the other Lunar Brothers stuff. I read Sword, uh, that whole series. Oh, and yeah. it's it's the same kind of thing where it's like, uh, a lot of people, there's some sort of secrets between them, but they uh, are in contact. Um, and then a bunch of people have some version of psychic powers. Uh, people die sort of very uh, plainly in front of you. Um, yeah. So it's all all those hallmarks of those books. If you like other Luna Brothers stuff, I think you'll like this. My only qualm about it, and I do really like the action stuff and the character work throughout, and Jonathan Luna's art is phenomenal, as always. It's very talky, like to a fault, yeah. I think. Another where, thing with a lot of the Luna Brothers stuff is there's just yeah, so much chat. Yeah, it it just got to be a little much where it felt like uh, this dialogue needs to be cut down a little bit. Um, it's still a, it's a good book. There's good characters in it. There's some interesting sci-fi stuff, um, but it was a little much for me at points. 
Uh, moving on to the low, low woods, number five from DC Comics slash Hill House Comics. This is Joe Hill's line uh, by Carmen uh, Maria Machado and art by Danny. So this is big secrets coming out of the woods. We find out what has been going on in those woods that whole time, specifically to the men and the women and how things have been going different and how things have been going terribly for pretty much everybody. Um, man, I love the Hill House line and I like this book quite a bit. It's just dark and upsetting yeah. in exactly the right way. This issue especially, I thought, was just a really great, uh, almost like a short story that um, could exist on a, as a standalone issue. Um, just really well done across the board. Uh, the sort of horror concepts were really great. The characters were really nice. The art's great and sort of like uh, sketchy and witchy um, while still uh, feeling comic booky. Like, I love this issue. It's scary as fuck, man. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Pete. Any other comments? Did you like it, Pete? Or were you just... You were scared. Yeah, I'm scared. It's, it's fucking creepy shit. You just pee. You peed a little bit. <laughs> no, not a little bit. A lot? You peed a, a lot? lot? So you peed uh, a lot. You just I've soaked been the whole floor. I've been fucking day drinking, man. You guess you. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. Have you really? Have you really? Been, I, I want to know, honestly, if you've been day drinking. No, no, no oh, we're okay. journalists, and journalists never day drink. My I mean, son, this yesterday is, I was day drinking. Oh, but sure, but that today. was Memorial Day. I mean, that's yeah. a different thing. Uh, my son today, in the middle of the day, so I do I do work at the kitchen table, and he's usually at the couch doing his work. And after he's done doing his schoolwork, he plays video games. He came over to me today, and he was like. Will you play Super Smash Brothers with me? If you play Super Smash Brothers, you could have as much beer as you want. And I was like, wow. <laughs> Did you I should take him up on that and then been like, sorry, Marnie, I'm getting wasted. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, the little boy blue and the man in the moon. <laughs> so uh, and you've been said, yes, all day, and then there was bro? a puff of smoke and he was like, got you. <laughs> I got sucked out to hell. That's so the new generational switch then? right there, man. Yeah. Ugh. Maybe you feel very weird about the whole situation. Anyway, Je Vengeance of Vampirella number seven from Dynamite Comics, written by Thomas Snigowski and art by Michael Stamaria. Uh, so this takes place in the far future. The world has been taken over by demons. Vampirella has been resurrected, and she is the only one, even in her scantily clad form, who could take the fight to these demons We've been, what? I think, pretty complimentary about a lot of the Vampirella stuff that's come out from Dynamite recently, particularly yeah. because it's gotten away from the cheesecake format of the books. How'd you feel about this? How'd that fit into that realm? Well, I mean, you know, I wouldn't sneak up on uh, a vampire while they're sleeping. I just wouldn't do it. You know, I would loudly announce myself coming into a room if I knew I had to wake up a vampire. And I feel like that's good advice for people. <laughs> Thanks. Interesting. Uh, classic review of a comic book. Uh, I <laughs> don't sneak up on vampires. I, uh, to your point about the cheesecake-ness of it, this feels like it's gone very hard in the other direction, maybe even too far. It feels yeah. like there's so much... Uh, world plot stuff that we're getting into here um, that like, I don't know what the core of the character is anymore. This feels like 
a epic sci-fi space quest um when it it could be just a much more it doesn't have to be cheesy it can be much more of a just character on the ground who's a vampire figuring shit out the stuff that was much more interesting to me is uh, they focus a little bit on the villain Nix who is a woman she's working for the lords of hell and she's basically as yeah as one does and she's basically like Vampirella is back Everybody loves me on Earth because I'm the person who gave Earth over to the demons. So screw you guys. I'm going to destroy all of you. I enjoyed that part. I enjoyed focusing on her to the point you're making, Justin. It felt like Vampirella just wasn't as clear. I don't know who she is or anything like that. But hopefully that'll become clear in further issues. Yeah, and I it just does think- feel like I like the stuff at the end where she's in the the mansion, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's a bunch of stuff that... that- feels very disconnected from the other stuff. But I just feel cool. like if you're going to be like, okay, we're not going to focus on the Vampirella kind of like TNA situation, then just kind of like don't show it and, you know, kind of really focus on the other aspects of her so we can kind of get to know the other parts. You know, Like throw a, throw a sweater on, you're saying. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just how she's drawn or whatever. However you want to do it, you know? Right. But, if they did a title that was like Sweaters of Vampirella or something like that, I think that would be pretty popular. Or a light jacket. Oh, yes. Like <laughs> sure. a members-only Vampirella jacket. Oh, that would be sick, dude. <laughs> oh, sick windbreaker. Uh, some sweet kicks. She could wear some sweet kicks. Don't fucking yeah. play with my emotions. Vampirella wind bleeder. <laughs> <laughs> You're hired. <laughs> Hollywood. Next, 1920s Hollywood. <laughs> the next title, Terrifics, number 27 from DC Comics, written by Gene Luen Yang and pencils by Sergio Davila. I'll mention, if you haven't listened to it, check out our live show with Gene Luen Yang from a couple of weeks ago, where he talked about Superman Smashes the Clan. It was super fun to have a bond. Yeah. Uh, the Terrifics, bunch of smart folks going into a cave and poking things until they explode is basically the idea of this issue. What'd you think of <laughs> So much going on. I love the use of all of these characters, sort of characters that live on the outskirts of uh, so many uh, DC books. Um, great to see them all here. Um, I don't. I didn't read the last issue, so I don't know everything that's going on. Um, but I like sort of the structure of being inside the building and outside the building and, and catching up with all of the. We do follow the emotional threads of the story as it's going. Yeah, it was funny because, like, right on the cover, it's like all the smart people and Plastic Man for some (laughs) crazy reason, because maybe we should have some humor, uh, you know, because if you just have like a bunch of smart people, as you know, Zalbin, it's boring as fuck. So you got to have somebody who brings some like, you know, why does does Alex know that, you know, and then so because I'm smart. And so, like, the... Weird, weird flex. I, 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 thought I don't it was, know if that's a flex. I thought I it was know. cool, though, it is. I'm done. when Plastic Man was like, no, that's my son, you know? Uh, I thought that was a nice little moment. There was a lot of stuff that I wasn't sure was going on, because, like, Justin, I just picked up this issue. Uh, but I, I appreciated that kind of moment. And I thought uh, there was a lot going on, but I... Th- I feel like overall this is a good comic, and I, I feel like this was kind of moving them in a, in a, in a situation. So. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all in the same place here where I missed a bunch of issues of this. But I think what uh, Jean Luen Yang does very well is 
put pepper in little things of humor. There's little things here like Mr. Terrific yelling. I think it's go terrific's go. And yeah. people having very side comments about that. Where it's like, they have a catchphrase. That's a weird catchphrase. Yeah. Where later on Simon Stagg, who's the Merkley, uh, moral businessman who is in charge of the terrifics. He's been attached to this horrible demon monster and he comes out and he's like, Oh great. My legs are back. And there's like these little <laughs> weird, funny moments in the middle of this that I think work very well. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Avengers number 33 from Marvel comics by Jason Aaron and uh, Javier Garan. Uh, this is continuing the moon Knight arc where moon Knight. Is fighting the Avengers and taking down the Avengers one by one in order to battle an evil that is coming. Pete, you got to be excited about this because I think that he's going to battle Mephisto. Uh, Oh, let's reset everything. Come on, baby. Let's go. You think Moon Knight's going to be like, Moon Knight's going to be like, hey, Mephisto, I actually have a real bone to pick with you about your marriage. Yeah. And then he'll sigh because it's like that story is so old. Like, I don't know why he'd be bringing it up at this point, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, uh, no, I don't know. This, but, uh, this was this great, uh, like Jason Aaron just kind of drawing a bunch of action. It was crazy to kind of see Moon Knight go toe to toe with people like this. You know, first we have him taking out uh, Iron Fist and kind of works his way through. Um, and then there was kind of like a fun moment with Black Plant. Black Panther just like get the fuck out of here, uh, but uh, the Thor stuff was crazy. Uh, yeah. I really like that Thor moment, um, you know, because like Thor Ragnarok, we kind of see um, him like you know, kind of l- the loss of his hammer. So to kind of like see him with that moment again was kind of crazy and fun. Yeah, I think Jason Aaron is having a lot of fun. The art's fantastic. This is a very kind of interesting story. I'm I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah, I agree. I feel like Jason Aaron is does such a good job with this Avengers run of writing compact issues that um, the story is like completely clean and clear what's happening, and it's just you're following action sequences after action sequences, yeah. and that's it's great here. It's great to see Moon Knight come out and just be a straight up badass. Um, throughout and uh, people being like, "Oh, you're Moon Knight. You're sort of crazy, right?" He's like, yeah. "You're dead, son." And then he <laughs> moves on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like it was. I really liked that. And yeah. I just one thing to add on: Javier Garan's art is yeah. so pleasantly reminiscent of Ed McGuinness, without specifically yes. being uh, like a copy of Ed McGuinness. Yeah. It just perfectly fits the book. It, yeah, great. Just such a fun. Every every issue of this has just been so much fun to read. It's just been a blast to read, and I love reading it right now. He's doing a great job. Uh, Suicide Squad number five from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor. Excuse me, an art by Bruno Rednew. Uh, so the Suicide Squad, as usual, is on a mission, pulling above their weight. Uh, somebody wants to kill them. And they don't want to get their heads blown up. And that's pretty much what's happening. But as usual, also, Tom Tyler takes the basics of the Suicide Squad and just elevates it to a level where he dives into the characters so Ah. hardcore that it makes you care about them. Yeah, Uh, this is such a heartbreaking story. And like... I think Tom Taylor is, is one of those just a writer who is writing so many different books and just crushing like 
churning out great standalone issues in so many of the titles that he's on and i like i'm not a big suicide squad guy like i'm not always reading it and this issue just like the way you're inside um the head of these characters and what happens and uh, i don't want to spoil it but like it just really really got me oh man yeah that one like handshake at the end but oh Oh. I'm talking and about the, it's the head uh, honestly like that's I what, dude you just said no spoilers but that's what <laughs> it was it was the handshake before the that yes 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 Jesus Christ well, that's what happens every time I shake hands with people is their heads explode is that now oh, there's wow. there's some truth to that now the handshake is dead Alex don't oh, do it. okay that's true. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, this title is great. Even if you haven't been reading Suicide Squad, worth picking up. Moving on to Exorcisters number six from Image Comics, written by Ian Boothby and art by Giselle Legasse. This is about two sisters, or at least they thought they were two sisters, who were fighting oh, evil man. from heaven and hell. Turns out one of them is just a dark piece of their soul. And in this issue, they have been tricked by angels. Angels are giving them what they think they desire most, and they have to break out of that. This title is so much fun. I So fun. So good. Like, it made me laugh out loud multiple times over the course of the issue. I like the part where they were like, come back here and live in heaven where, you know, all your dreams can come true. You know, like, there's just, why would you leave? It was very funny. Yeah, I lo- and the art uh, is sort of in the style of Archie comics, uh, mm-hmm. classic Archie's comic style. And I think that suits the book so well. It's like an elevated version of that where it's heaven versus hell and these two like sort of fun, irreverent characters that happen to be basically the same person or a person in their soul. Uh, it's It's really good. Pleasant yeah. surprise. Uh, that's a that's a nice way of putting it because like it's definitely dirtier. It's definitely more adult than an Archie comics thing. But if this was a spinoff from Sabrina or something like that, that would not be surprising. Yeah. Uh, Justice League number 45 from DC Comics, written by Robert Vendetti and Petzels by Eddie Barrows. The Justice League has been pretty much taken over by the Spectre, who's gone crazy, as usual, and is making them fight each other and say very mean things to each oh, other. Man. Yeah, they get Which nasty. Is worse. They get nasty. It is worse. You know, co-workers, when you work together for that long at any level, you're going to mm-hmm. be mad. Like, the Flash mm-hmm. gets a little like, oh, run fast. Like, he's like, gets in their face about yeah. <laughs> running too much. Uh, this, I like this issue, and I always like what Robert Vendetti is doing. He is good at scripting action. My only concern with about Justice League right now is it's very light on story on an issue-to-issue basis. It feels like they have one action sequence, and then they kind of move on. Um, so... It's fun to read. Eddie Barrows is always great at drawing, like, just very classic superhero stuff. Um, But I want a little bit, particularly coming off of the previous Justice League run, like, I want a a happy medium between here's one big action sequence versus here's 1,000 game-changing things happening on this page, now on to the next page. I feel like this book uh, feels a lot like Jason Aaron's Avengers, where it's just like it's a bit lighter. It's like fun. It feels good to read both of these titles right now. But I definitely hear you, Alex, coming off the last like very heavy meal of uh, so much happening in Justice League to this sort of light 
the snack eaten on a Tuscan uh, patio. Uh, feels like it feels like you want a little bit more. Um, I, I don't know. I liked it. I really liked the kind of uh, you know the back and forth and the shit talking. I thought it was good, and I'm excited to see where it goes. What kind of I, patio did you feel like you were reading it on, though? Like underneath a pergola, or was it more sort of an open air patio? <laughs> like, because I feel like this is at like when you're at a wedding I was reception. Gazebo vibes when I was gazebo. Reading. I feel like this is when you're at a wedding reception and you just want one more appetizer and it's just not quite coming, you know? Yeah. Or that there's that one person who's got like the best appetizers, but they're like not circling where you are. Oh, it's very frustrating. That's why you always stand by the kitchen and you never leave that position at any party. Smart. Yeah. Classic scumbag move. (laughs) (laughs) Rogue Planet number one from Oni Press, written by Cullen Bunn and illustrated by Andy McDonald, as you could probably tell from the number one this is a new title from oni press uh where a bunch of folks go into space and some fucked up things happen i mean Uh, at this point why does anyone respond to like a help beacon you know i mean come on every every time we see something in space and it's like oh there's a, a distress signal let's go respond it never goes well i love leaning into that trope though for this book like i think colored bud particularly for the script perspective does a really good job of just sitting that classic alien, like, we're just sort of scrappy kind of marine types who are doing our job, whatever. Oh, yep. this is terrible. <laughs> we're just a bunch of junkers trying to get get our nut. Uh, and then, whoops, here we are in a bunch of alien town. Uh, so, yes, it definitely is that uh, that premise played out. But what I like, I think the, the little flourishes here are really cool. Like, I like the way that rather than them just being in, like, dormant tubes, um, they're drone piloted by AI technology. So they're, they're actually piloting the ship, but just not consciously. Like, those little, like, extra idea moments in the, in the classic sci-fi premise uh, and trope really elevate this, I think. Yeah, I agree. Pete, were you scared by this one? Uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I agree completely. I thought it was still pretty tropey to me, and I was like, all right. It's, as soon as I get on landing and I see a ton of fucking spaceships that have all been... I start running from my fucking ship and getting on board <laughs> and taking the fuck off because this isn't going to end well, but apparently I'm the only one with common sense, so they Let me put it into... Let me put it in a context that I think really speaks more to you. Okay, great. You're, you're walking the streets of Philadelphia. Okay. And you get a homing beacon from inside a, a cheesesteak place that you really like. Okay, right. So you're like, oh, a homing beacon in there is trouble. Maybe I could nab a little cheesesteak while I'm in there. <laughs> I feel like maybe you roll the dice a little bit more. Maybe you go in and all of a sudden, aliens. Mm, yeah, nope. I don't, I don't fall for homing beacons anymore, bro. Not anymore. Not it's anymore. 2020, man. You can't do it. Burn yeah. too it's many not times. 2019. I mean, come yeah. on. The year of the beacon. Basketful <laughs> of Heads, number seven from DC oh, Comics, boy. written by Joe Hill, illustrated by Leo Max. This is very sadly, I think, the last issue of this yeah. title. Ah, it's the I'm end surprised that it all wrapped up in this issue. Me too. Uh, it is about a girl. She finds an axe. That when she chops people, it keeps their heads animate. Uh, and she has got embroiled in a mystery story, an embezzled story, a murder story, a bunch of other stories that are happening on this small island, I guess. Peninsula, yep. something like that. I think it's an uh, island. And a uh, man, this issue is so 
sad. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Just as the plot points unfold. So well done, though. I agree. I loved I loved every issue of this comic. So good. And what I think Joe Hill does a great job here is you really want to believe in the couple. Yeah. Um, and Joe Hill he, hates marriages, man. It, it, that, you didn't even give him a chance. He does such a good job of making you wonder, like, is uh, I forget the guy's name. Is he good or is he bad? Yeah. Um, and it feels like it's going to be great. Um, and then some stuff happens and we won't say maybe, but, um, really well done. And the art's fantastic. I love the sort of fantasy element backstory. Great. And they do a great job of like setting up, like when she was kind of like, uh, thrown in the water and you know, the ax is down there. Like this is just great stuff that happens in the last issue and then picks it right up there and like. The action, uh, all the gore and the violence that Joe Hill uh, does so well is fantastic. But yeah, it's just one of those things where you're hoping against hope that somehow this relationship's going to work out. And it's you got that sick little doom buggy VW car in there, and oh man, it's just uh, it's heartbreaking. You know, I was hoping they could ride off in the sunset in that bad boy, but nope. Pete, at what point in your life do you think you'll own a dune buggy? Ooh, uh, well, it depends. You know, it really depends on where we're going as a society. But hopefully I, if I things think turn around. T- I think we're moving toward Dune Buggy. Yeah, yeah. I'm open for a Dune Buggy, bro. You're going to have to leave Philly. but Look, I get it. As a comic book reader, you're probably used to spending time inside. But want a way to capture the outdoors throughout your week without actually having to go outside? Then you'll love Atomic Child. Don't worry, it's not the comic book sort of Atomic Child where you're going to turn into a Hulk or anything. Atomic Child is an artist-run brand inspired by nature. They capture the great outdoors through unique designs on everything from stickers to blankets, water bottles, mugs, pins, patches, and much more. You can check it all out at AtomicChild.com. Atomic Child, we bring nature to you. Well, we don't. They do. We're just sponsored by them this episode. Again, that's AtomicChild.com. Marauders number 10 from Marvel Comics, written by Jerry Dugan and art by Stefano Caselli. Uh, This book, as we all know, is a piece of garbage because they killed off Kitty Pride a couple of issues back, threw her into the water, and I didn't even bother to read it. Are you serious? No, of course Ooh. I read it. Uh, no, I, I like Jerry Dugan, and I love uh, Stefano Caselli's art, so of course I read it. Uh, but uh, they did kill off Kitty Pride. You get two letters. This What? There are two letters in this book. So this is uh, the mutant book where they're kind of pirates. (laughs) You get two letters. You know how I love letters, Pete. (laughs) Big fan. Especially you have a lot of love letters that you've written to Kitty Pride. So it must be nice to get one from. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, So while they avoid talking about what happened to Kitty Pride, uh, they are dealing with uh, some mutants or rather uh, some humans who have developed some mutant dampening technology. They go and take care of them over the course of the issue. Uh, This is great. And I love, like I hate and I love to the point about the Kitty Pride thing. Like 
I hate that I don't know what happened to Kitty Pride and that she's probably dead and they can't resurrect her. But I love the balls of Jerry Dugan being like, nope, we're not going to resolve this next issue. We're going to wait at least five issues before, at least before we explain what's going on to her. Like, it's infuriating because she is one of my favorite characters of all time, but it's very well done. Yeah, this is a, a crazy issue. Um, and normally in comic books, I hate reading, uh, especially like letters and shit like that. But I was surprised how into this I was because I knew what was going on. I I felt like it was really, it's one of those rare things where it's like, you get a big chunk of text and you're kind of like, fuck you, man. I bought a comic book. Uh, but, uh, it's done in such a, 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 a way that really, uh, makes you have to read it and want to read it. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like when the words are in a story, I have to read them. In the same way that like in a TV shows I'm watching is on, I have to watch it. Huh. Mm. What did you think about this book, Justin? Uh, nope, that's it. Uh, no, I like uh, I like this. It is funny, like, there's a whole section up front where the X-Men on Krakoa are making um, whiskey or scotch. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. By aging tempo, having tempo uh, age it, age the barrels. And it that's such a thing where it's like, it does feel like the X-Men stories are like, look at this, we did this cool thing. And I, it does make me want some sort of tether to like, hey, let's all keep this, let's keep a story going here rather than it's like, look, at, we made this weird scotch over here. Um, <laughs> or, or make the whole comic book about making scotch. You know, what's the process like? Where'd you yeah. get the ingredients? What's going Justin, on? Justin, I'm really surprised that you didn't like that part because I thought this was right up your alley. You know, you would no. rather have the X-Men just play baseball and hang out than actually do stuff. So I thought them standing around talking about how they're using their powers to make really nice booze would be right in your sweet spot. I did like that spot, but I think what I'm saying is it feels like a lot of these books are like showing off cool ideas, but there aren't the emotional tethers that usually Uh hold the X-Men together. Aren't there like there's a scene between storm and forge who had a very tumultuous and intense relationship, I believe back in the day. And there's no mention of that. They're just having a conversation about like doing some shit. And I think that's a, that is what the X-Men are right now, or like there's just so much happening that we don't get to Can't slow down and all. find yeah. out what's happening. And the reason I like those baseball games is because the plot relaxes for a little bit so that the characters can exercise some of their emotional things when they're on their downtime. And I'm cra- starting to really crave that with all of these X-Men books. Yeah, I think that is a good point with the Forge Storm thing, because I definitely felt that as well. Um, but I think this is well plotted, and Jerry Dugan does find some yeah. fun bits throughout that make it no, worth checking out. I agree, and like I again, I like the read. I think it's just a feeling across the mm-hmm. line I have, um, where it's like, even if it's just one book, is like, this is the emotional book. I'll read the shit out of that one. Um, <laughs> but it just feels like uh, it's so different, and I want to feel sort of more of a shape to the the line. But Let's move book. on then to Batman Beyond number 43 from DC Comics, written by Dan Jurgens and pencils by Sean Chen. Uh, Batman Beyond is Batman Beyond again. Terry McInnes is back in the costume. He's working yeah. with old Bruce Wayne. They got a new Bat Tower. It's basically returning it to a status quo. Um, I thought this was all right. It's fun. If you like Batman Beyond, why yeah, not? This is a great. I liked it. 
Yeah, Batman Beyond. I thought this was like a great kind of felt like it came right from the animated uh, uh, series. I thought it was great. Even that like the excitement that Batman had for being back, I thought was really fun. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of a I like this version of Batman because instead of it being, you know, the dark responsibility, here's someone who's having fun at their job and like is smiling as they're doing their work. So it's a nice juxtaposition to kind of have this Batman work a little bit. And you said Justin position, right? Because no, that's, no, that's the position I'm in. But also you get to, you know, fly through a concrete wall that's fake. I mean, who doesn't? Also, do I don't that? want to stop you again, but that's kind of my word. Yeah. Concrete? Juxtaposition. Juxtaposition, oh. yes. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Uh, actually, to be honest, I believe juxtaposition was first coined by Francesco Mobilizations. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like this a lot. I think you're spot on, Pete. Like, to see a, a Batman having fun is great. It's right in line with the, the original cartoon. Yeah. And uh, I'm interested in the story. Like, I like the last page reveal in this issue, and uh, it was fun. Yeah. Farmhand number 15 from Image Comics created, written, and drawn by Rob Gilroy, who we probably know best from Chew, but obviously he's been doing this book for a while. Uh, This is about a world where somebody has developed a plant-based solution for people to uh, regenerate their limbs and pieces of their body. Obviously, it goes horribly wrong. It turns into sort of a zombie cult thing. We find out some secrets and lies this issue. Uh, Neat thing for me, I just really enjoy Rob Gilroy's art. I think it's so good. Yeah. it's so like specifically and humorously detailed throughout that it is a joy to read his books most of the time. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I agree. This was uh I was really caught up in the emotional story between um sort of these two characters in two different timelines just locked in battle with each other and the shifting power uh from the two different uh moments in their lives where they shot each other in the head, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh very cool. And, you know, when, if stuff, if bad stuff's going to happen, let it happen in a barn. Because, you I know. couldn't agree more. Yeah. Some of the worst stuff that's ever happened to me has happened in a barn. That's I'm right. I'm sorry to hear about that. Uh, pottery, right. pottery barn, specifically. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. yeah. I forgot and about I was getting some shelves. Barn. It was not great. <laughs> yeah. He-Man and the Masters of the Multiverse, number six from DC Comics, written by Tim Seeley and art by Tom Derenick. It all comes down to this. All of the He-Mans from all of the multiverse and who we thought was a Skeletor all oh. coming together to stop the anti-He-Man. This book is wild. I have yeah. no emotional connection to He-Man, but Tim Seeley... Sorry, I had the action figures, but like the cartoon was stupid. I'm sorry. Hey, fuck you, wow. man. Fuck wow. you. If you're, but you're attacking Tim Seeley Pete. wrote a great story here. Yeah, I only think, like, Tim Seeley could pull this off with all the different versions of all the things happening at one time. Tim Seeley was able to pull this off because this is confusing as fuck. Because I watched the cartoon as a kid, was a big fan, had all the action figures. The beauty of the cartoon is it's absolutely not confusing because it's very stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Which they talk about, like, they basically say that in this comic at a certain point where they're like, because the cartoon versions of He-Man show up in the book, and what do they call them? Overly earnest Mm He-Man? Or Uh, something? No, it's, it's, uh... 
yeah, it's it's something like that. It's like uh, simple and annoying He Man or something. Yeah, like that. annoyingly earnest or annoyingly honest He Man. And at the end, when everything spoiler returns to normal, they're like, "Well, they're going to go back to learning lessons every day, like a <laughs> bunch of idiots." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very very funny. We want to learn things. Yeah, that's dumb, Zalman. Yeah, what the fuck. What, oh. what are you? Uh, what you were is, saying what you, know, you were like, oh yeah, they're going to go back to learning lessons. I think it's nice to learn lessons at the end of the day, you know. Nope, sure, whatever. not into learning anything, let alone lessons. Yeah, uh, yeah. I this had this is way better than it has any business being, and I mean that <laughs> as a compliment. Um, uh, Touchy feely, Tim Seeley. Just <laughs> like of all the a writer we've watched uh, or read over the course of our time doing this show and podcast, like a de- over a decade of seeing his work, really just uh, a great storyteller and story manager, like juggling all these elements. Yeah, really great. Um, and the name of the He Man is annoyingly chipper He Man. That's ah. what it is. There you go. Uh, yeah, it's good. It, it, the six issues, you can go back. I'm sure it'll be collected. You can pick it up that way. Uh, but fun read, even if you don't care about He-Man, just like me. Oh. Moving on to another thing that I'm going to need Pete to explain to me. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Urban Legends, number 23 from IDW, story by Gary Carlson, art by Frank Fosco. What is happening in this book, Pete? Yeah, yeah what the fuck, dude? Holy this shit. Is last time I read... Like, Raph is on the wrong side now, and, like, that was crazy. This is like playing the 15th level of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game and being like, what's the story? What happened so far? Because... No, yeah. this is like if you had an ant farm and you left it for a couple of years and came back and they were like, yo, we live here now. We live in your apartment. Get <laughs> yeah. the fuck out of here. <laughs> yes, and I'm a robot. Farm. Did you yeah. like this, Pete? Because I read this and I was like, this has to be right in Pete's wheelhouse. But now I'm not so sure. No, it's great. Uh, it's fun to kind of go back and see what's going on with the turtles, especially if you haven't read it for a while. Like. But what's great is it's still the turtles. Like, even after their brother (laughs) joined the clan, became Shredder, uh, he needs help. Guess what? They all went. And uh, I like the new Leo missing an arm but got a sword for a hand. That's pretty cool. Um, Yeah, I guess when I was a kid watching the original TMNT series, I always predicted that someday Michelangelo would sell a uh, uh, an award winning novel that Oprah really went to bat for, (laughs) which is an actual story point in this comic. We're talking also, uh, you know, they say in the cartoon he does machines, and uh, he is a machine. So (laughs) and Donatello is machines. Yeah. So. This feels like reading a dream somebody had about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yes, that's 100% right. It's like but, and a, not even uh, someone, a 10-year-old. Yeah, this yeah. is a 10-year-old A 10-year-old watched the cartoon and then was like, all right, I'll take this from here. You know, uh, But I really love the Eastman variant that felt very 80s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to me. Uh, this was fun. This was crazy and over-the-top. And first off, Justin, why wouldn't Michelangelo write a book of all the adventures that they've been on? And no, I'm sure his books, I, 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 if you reread it, the book was a little bit fucked up. This reminds me of when I was a kid, um, I grew up on the edge of like 
way in the middle of nowhere, but there was a golf course near our house, and this kid lived on the other side of the golf course. He was into comics, and one time I met him in the woods. He was like, look at my drawing. And it was this super fucked up drawing of like a a guy with a sword like stabbing people. I was like, ah, fuck, this kid's going to stab me here. I have to get out of here. (laughs) And that's what it felt like reading this book. It really brought me back to that horrifying moment. Oh, oh fun. that's nice. So it's fun Got to relive it. stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I don't know how to tell you this, but you never survived that moment, Justin. Oh, never I've been survived. haunting this podcast Ooh. since I was a child. Uh, speaking of magic, Books of Magic number 19 from DC Comics, written by David Barnett and art by Tom Fowler. Man, I love this comic. This was so much fun. This is following a young magician in the D- DC universe slash kind of Vertigo mut- universe, even though that doesn't exactly exist anymore. Uh, he meets a new girl who could also do magic. They try to go to the Glastonbury She's Festival. too casual with it, though. Instead, they end up at a magical festival and things go to shit from there. Uh, Very fun throughout. Always a fan of Tom Fowler's artwork. He is a perfect match for this book about the world's saddest Harry Potter, essentially. Um, I thought this was fun. Yeah, it was also an interesting idea of like, you know, uh, kind of going back to something that you thought was great. And like we have this one character who just wants to get back to this like amazing uh, magic kind of musical festival. Um, and it's kind of, you, you see what, uh, you know, like he goes through to get it and then what happens. And it's, you can't tell good guy, bad guy, but by the end kind of seems like a bad guy, but man, what a crazy kind of voyage this comic is. Very interesting storyline, very creative, amazing art and all the little like side characters. It was fun when they showed like the group shots and you kind of see like little fairies and all the different, like the artist was having a blast. This was a really creative, cool comic. I really liked it. Uh, yeah, I was a huge fan of the books of magic um, stories uh, series from um, back in the day from the vertigo line. So I like this one though. It sort of comes from a much more sad or negative place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I totally I want it to sort of be a little more fun for the characters. Everyone seems like life sucks. And that sort of was always a part of Books of Magic, where it was like magic is a little bit of a curse, even though it feels yeah. it feels fun and you wanna do it. It's like always creating a problem for you. But I just want someone to be having a good time here. I can see what you're saying. I mean, the main character is definitely like beyond sad sack Harry Potter and into just, uh, he's a horrible nerd who yeah. I would not want to hang out with, you know? Yeah. And I, so I get that. But like, again, I think there's enough fun details that power through it that make it okay. Yeah. Uh, next one to talk about, this is actually, I think, a reprint because it originally came out digitally a couple of months ago when things got shut down. But Star Wars Dr. Afra number one from Marvel Comics, written by Alyssa Wong and art by Marika Cresta. Uh, this is, of course, picking up on the uh, Indiana Jones of the Star Wars universe, is I think the fair way of putting her, like, the evil Indiana Jones. Uh, and here, as usual, she gets uh, embroiled in something that is way over her head. And messes it up as badly as possible. I think this captured the tone of Dr. Afra pretty much perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
it is. Uh, I was Indiana Jones is a good is a better comparison. I was going to say it's like it's female Han Solo, um, mm-hmm. and with a bad guy Wookie uh, at her side and mm-hmm. uh, doing all the sort of uh, getting out of scrapes uh, thing. It's funny this comic though read really like it doesn't really need to exist in the Star Wars universe at all. Yeah. Which I think is, I guess, a compliment. Like, Dr. Aphra is the only original Star Wars character to really catch on out of the Marvel comics, right? Yeah, I think that's fair. And uh, like you're saying, there's stuff that goes so heavily mystical in this book to the point where, which sounds crazy for, like, they have the Force and all of these other mystical Jedi things, but it always seems very lightly magical in Star Wars. This is full-on magic stuff happening most of the time. And even as she explains in the middle of the book, she says, ah, there's always a scientific explanation for this stuff. There's not really. And it's certainly, you know? So, yeah, it definitely feels side to the Star Wars books, but that's okay. Yeah. Pete, what'd you think about this one? Uh, it was fun. I mean, you know, um, I, you know, the, the, the kind of, I was happy that there was a Wookiee in there. So, you know, it was cool. You say that a lot. You say that about like different buildings you go in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if there's Parties a Wookiee in a to... building, I'm going to be happy. So. Great. Thanks, Pete. Aquaman number 59 from DC Comics, written by Kelly Sue DeConnick and pencils by Robson Rocha. Uh, This is continuing Kelly Sue DeConnick's storyline where Aquaman is he's fighting his brother Orm. He's looking for Mera. They're looking for the princess, his daughter, who has been stolen. Uh, And meanwhile, Aqualad is also on a search of his own. What do you think about this book? Well, this is cool because I like the fact that it was like, you know, he charges, you know, King Orm and was just like, we're and then instead of fighting, it was like, hey, what's going on? Hey, man, we're cool. Why would you think I did this? And then he kind of like leaves to go figure it out. So I was happy that it wasn't like a, a battle for no reason where one person wants something and instead of talking it out, fights the wrong person kind of thing. Um even though it's a little different from kind of what happened, but I was I was uh, I was happy about that part. I think the art's great. I like the kind of Aquaman in the story. I believe it as Aquaman. So I'm interested to see where this goes. I think this does a good job of like setting up things to come in a way that makes you want to check out the next issue. Uh, yeah, really nice uh, art, like very uh, underwater, flowy art. And I really like the way that Kelly Sue uh, DeConnick has positioned all the characters. There's no real, like, this character's good, this character's bad here. Yeah. Uh, Ocean Master is now the king, and he, like, does a lot of stuff that is, like, very reasonable here. Mm-hmm. Aquaman seems like he's a little out of control. Right. We get a reveal at the end. Uh and I like that I don't know exactly. I feel like the best Aquaman stories, Aquaman is just like a little bit out of sorts and trying to figure out what's going on in his life. I also like Dolphin as a character. Nice mm-hmm. to see her back. Yeah. Let's move on to an Image Comics books. Mercy number two, written art and colorist Mirka and Dolfo. Uh, we talked about the first issue of this book, I don't know, I guess months ago at this point. And this is another one that kind of felt like a fever dream a little bit. There was a lot of stuff going on, but it ultimately settled on this malevolent entity in the form of a woman heading to a small town. And people think she's an angel, 
maybe there's some devils in the town as well. I think we get a little more clarity of this issue. And I like this. Like, I like this a lot more than the second issue. It felt very clear what was going on. There was maybe they tackled too much of the first issue. Uh, but the art is very solid um, and cartoony, even though eventually it airs, uh, not airs, but it becomes super horrific at points. Yeah. There's a great reveal at the end. And I liked a lot of the details throughout as well. How'd you feel about it? Yeah, I thought the art was really great. Um, I thought it was an interesting story. It took a lot of different, tw- just when you thought like, oh, okay, the little kid's going to blow this open or whatever. It took a lot of different turns, which was cool and creative. Uh, I Yeah, I also like the reveal. I'm interested to see how this goes. But just in general, if you're at a party and you see someone who doesn't, eat or is concerned about food at all, you know that they're a bad person and they, you know, they don't like, eat. Yeah. If you're, if you're like, you know, cause they, she was like, Oh yeah, I don't eat food. You know, what like, if they had a big lunch? Yeah. What if they're just like standing by the kitchen waiting for the hors d'oeuvres to come out? See, I trust <laughs> that person because they know how important food is. No, that's a classic scumbag move. <laughs> and that's my review of this book. Uh, no, I like this book as well. Um, I like the way they threw us into the action and are slowly backing out into what the um, sort of premises. And I feel like we're going to learn that maybe this woman that has become possessed by this mercy, uh, I feel like it's black mercy, like the DC uh, flower feels like very much in that vibe, mm-hmm. a plant that takes over a person. And uh, I think we're going to realize that she has a connection with a lot of the people in the town. Yep. Definitely a good new one to check out. The Flash, number 754 from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson and pencils by Rafa Sandoval. I mentioned we had Joshua Williamson on our live show this week, had a very long, very good chat with him about The yeah. Flash and all of his other titles. So definitely go check that out. Uh, but this is The Flash Teaming up with the Reverse Flash, going to take down Paradox, who's the big new villain that he's facing down. Um, another just, I think, good, reliable issue of the Flash uh, on this title. And I think there's a lot of, like, very good character bits in particular between the Reverse Flash and Flash that show off the differences between them. And the Paradox twist, which I don't really want to spoil, uh, is... Broke my braid a little bit, but in exactly the right way for a character called Paradox. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought that twist was so smart. Um, there are a couple twists in this book that I thought were great. We said this on the other uh, podcast, but it, writing The Flash is difficult because there's so many things that are already like so many like hurdles positioned in the different timelines of the flash and you have to sort of jump over and through them. And I think this book does a great job of doing that. And I want to shout out the Raphael grandpa, um, cover, uh, maybe, uh, Oh yeah. It was so good. Such a was cool. Was that cover. the one where he's stretching? Yes. Yeah. And it's got the little amazing. lightning bolts by his knees. That was kind amazing. of cool. Yeah. Wait, that reminds me. Sorry, I, I meant to talk about this, but uh, Gabriel Rodriguez did a cover for Basketful of Heads. Yes. Yes. Shout out to his classic Lock and Key cover, which is also awesome. So yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is a good issue of The Flash. Let's move on to what I'm excited to hear Pete's thought of thoughts of, in particular, G.I. Joe number six from IDW, written by Paul Allure, art by Chris Evanhouse. This is following a bunch of members of G.I. Joe who are trying to recruit members of Cobra. Uh, It's a very different style for a G.I. Joe book. I, like He-Man, have no emotional connection to G.I. Joe. What the fuck? 
You care about it very deeply. What do you think about this book? How do you have no emotional care, uh, connection to these things that were such a big part of my childhood? It's because really I don't like America, man. Wow. Um, he was ruined for Cobra. Yeah. He, I also Cobra. don't have a connection to G.I. Joe. We weren't allowed to watch it because they had guns. Oh, wow. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. Uh, to but, be perfectly honest, like, I did not like G.I. Joe because I was like, what is this? This is like an army, but they have a specific thing for each of them. That sounds dumb. Fuck you. That is not dumb. All right. Uh, shipwreck was an idol. Okay. Gung ho. <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, roadblock. Uh, These were people who were important in our lives growing up. They shaped Pete. who we were. The lessons at the end made people better people. Pete, what would your G.I. Joe thing and name be? Wait, oh. can, I, can I take this one? Because I, sure. I know it. It's cheesesteak. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you were going Cheesesteak. Wait, where's Cheesesteak? He's not. Uh, he, sl- he slept in today. Yeah, he's covered in cheese whiz, man. He's covered Anyways. in whiz. Okay, call Alex uh, or codename podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might be codenamed Vodka Soda. But anyway, so uh, okay. I think that, like, this was very different. This was like a G.I. Joe mission that seemed very douchey. And people risk lives for things that then ended up didn't matter uh, at all. But I love the reveal at the end. Anytime you're going to do a G.I. Joe comic, always reveal Snake Eyes at the end. That's how you win. (laughs) Fucking Snake Eyes, baby. It's Uh, not a reveal if it's always there, I would say. I I love this comic. I thought this was a great great issue. Um, I too not a big GI Joe fan, but I like the premise of the book that Cobra sort of taken has taken over America. So the Joes are on the run and they're just trying to find a beachhead they can start to turn the tides against Cobra, and they are not doing a great job. And I thought this is really well well done. The art in particular was very good. Yeah. I didn't write down the colorist for this, so I apologize to whoever the colorist is, but it's a clear collaboration between Chris Evanhouse and whoever did the colors, um, which is very crisp. And like you're saying, Pete, a very different look for G.I. Joe. Yeah, so it was that, almost like a Luna Brothers art a little bit on a this. Little was bit. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Uh, it, it struck me a little bit more. It was like uh, Jamie McKelvey a little bit. Oh, that's um, a good call, yeah. Uh, uh, which I liked. So I enjoyed that. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead, Pete. I was just going to say, I, I, I sure shit wouldn't get on a fucking Cobra train. It's not a good idea, man. All aboard! Cobra <laughs> train! <laughs> uh, Venom number 25 from Marvel Comics, written by Johnny Cates, art by Mac Mark Bagley, and uh, there is a backup, a throwback Venom story yeah. by David Michelini and yeah. pencils by Ron Lim. So Venom is on an island, or at least he was on an island, as we find out. He's left it by the end here. He has been taken over by the Carnage symbiote, and his son has discovered the ability to destroy symbiotes, and we're dealing with some big mythological stuff here, big sea change by the end of the issue. Uh, what do you think about the end of this storyline? Well, I really want to talk about the second storyline uh, because right. it was really a lot of fun. Wow. And, uh, you love the throwback. And, man, there's nothing like some canned peaches, man. I tell you. Wow. Uh, uh, but, yeah, this was interesting. The way they kind of cut... Back and forth was a little confusing between the T-Rex battle and the caged, uh, you know, 
Um, mental, the mental cage. Yeah, the mental cage with him and his son was a little kind of crazy for me uh, to understand everything that was going on. The jumping around was a little confusing, but uh, it was interesting the way it kind of started with this like six panel interrogation kind of grid and then kind of grew from there. But then we went back to it. So interesting, amazing art. Um, I'm interested to see where this goes, but the backup story was a lot of fun and definitely worth the price of admission. Wow. Um, I think Donny Cates writes so many of his Venom issues like it's the last issue he's ever going to write. Uh, and I mean that as a compliment, like it's, he's always sort of really recontextualizing and reexamining who the character is, um, in so many issues. And, uh, this is a, a great issue where you really get inside Eddie's head, um, throughout the sort of interview sections of it. And, uh, this is, f- I thought Venom Island was going to be this huge, sprawling, big epic. And actually it was a pretty contained story setting up the next big epic, uh, battle with Null. Yeah, this is, to the point that you're making, it feels like it's go big or go home with the Venom arcs. Like G.I. Joe, like the other things, I don't really have an emotional connection to Venom. He is not my favorite villain of all time. Venom. Venom, Venom. But what Donny Cates is doing with the title is so smart and so big, and it's so mythology-building, I can't help but enjoy it every issue out of the gate. What do you prefer, Venom or Venmo? Oh, great (laughs) question. Uh, Venom doesn't demand that I leave a note every time I read it, so I prefer Venom. Wow. Bold. Nice. Strong. Very annoying feature on the Venmo app. Last one we're going to talk about on maybe our longest stack podcast ever, Outer Darkness 2, number two from Image Comics, created and written by John Lehman, created art and cover by Afu Chan, created art and cover by Rob Gilroy. So if you didn't pick up the first issue of this, this is crossing over, of course, Outer Darkness, which is a space set saga that is mostly about demons and magic, and Chew, which is a detective book about a guy who eats stuff and can find out the memories. Pete, what what is your question? Well, I wanted to say, you know, uh, I know in Comic Book Club we don't uh, say Talk about what Comic our, Book Club. We don't uh, say what our favorite, what we're looking forward to anymore. But this was my favorite of the stack. And this was the one that I was most looking forward to. It is so great to have Chu back. And Chu is so creative and so weird in so many different ways. It's such a great book. I, they even get meta and it doesn't bother me. They like make fun of themselves. They make fun of the genre. It was really crazy, all the things that happened in this book. Art's amazing. It's really funny. It's definitely worth picking up. Just a quick little note. Uh, the only reason we haven't done what we're looking forward to is because comics haven't been coming out. But uh, they are I, now, so what the fuck? Uh, Pete, you could have said this off of the podcast recording. Anyway, I made myself a note because you're right, and we can go back to doing that. Is that cool, Pete? Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate yeah. it. No problem. That's thanks for good. bringing it up during a podcast recording. When we well, hit the hour it's the mark. only time we talk anymore, Zalb, so, you know, that's what we do. <laughs> we wow. text basically every day. <laughs> It is true. We are very connected, and I love it. Um, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, this book, um, I think, is great. It goes meta in a way that I'm often like, ah, that's annoying. But I yeah. thought it really worked here. Yeah, um, it did. And it's funny. This 
book feels much more like it's a chew book set in the world of Outer Darkness as opposed to a true crossover. So I'm curious if they're going to pivot back toward Outer Darkness in the next issue. Um, But uh, fun. I like the way the premise really crystallized in this second issue. Yeah, it's crazy what a left turn this takes in the first couple of pages here. Uh, It is so different. Just plot. It tracks but it's so different plot-wise from the first issue. Uh, but still, very funny. The art is great. The jokes are great. I really enjoy this quite a bit. It's yeah. like, it, it's the rare continuation that doesn't take away from the ending of Chew for very specific plot reasons that they built in there. Yeah. And the, like, reveal of the, like, Ghost Rider chicken at the end was fucking awesome. Yes. Spoilers. All right, folks, if you want to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday at 7 p.m. directly to the Internet at Crowdcast and YouTube, iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to this podcast. Comic book club live dot com for this podcast and many more. And hey, we'll see you at the virtual comic book shop. As always, shout out to our boys Francesco Mobilizations. <laughs> shout out, shout out to uh, my GI Joe's podcast, and of course, um, cheesesteak. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.